Let's Triathlon Show, episode 59. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Death Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. As always, I'm your host, Michael, and on today's episode, I talk about stride and running with power together with Chris Haig, who is a fellow stride user and a triathlon coach. And he uses it a lot in his training and is one of the most active members of the Stride Community Users Facebook group, which we mentioned several times in this chat or uh, Stride riffing session or whatever you want to call it. So I highly recommend that after you listen to this interview, you join that Facebook group, regardless of whether you're using Stride or not, because there's so much that can be learned from that. And also, we talk about some numbers and the formulas and the technical things at some points in this interview, but there will be a Google Sheet linked up in the show notes on that triathlonshow.com that you can download and use for yourself. Not download, you make a copy in your Google Drive, technically. So anyway, that will be easy enough for you to, to do, and then you can just plug in the numbers that Stride shows you after you run with stride and it will automatically calculate these more advanced metrics for you. So those are just some things that I meant, wanted to mention before we start the interview. But now let's go and hang out with Chris Haig. All right, it's my great pleasure to welcome Chris Haig to That Triathlon Show. How are you today, Chris? I'm doing great. It's uh, thank you very much for having me on. I've been a listener since episode one, actually. So it's it's an it's an honor to be on your show. Yeah, and you've been sending in questions and stuff both for for the podcast and on the email list. So it's been great connecting with you. And I also, before I started my podcast, I had heard you on on Kevin uh, Koskala's podcast, Try Swim Coach, uh, which you have uh, been doing some work on. So, so uh, we have been uh, doing overlapping things for quite some time. So great to finally connect for sure. Uh, can you just uh, tell us a little bit about what you're up to these days, mostly? Sure. Um, right now, I'm actually just started school for sports psychology um, at Queen's University in Kingston, Ontario. So that's my, my current focus, um, academically at least. And then um, physically, uh, I have a running background. So I've been focusing on running for the past, I think, uh, six months, but also like to dapple in multi-sports, so long-distance triathlon um, and uh, duathlon. Perfect. And you are one of the most active members in the Stride Running Community Facebook group, which is today's topic, Stride and Running with Power. And uh, it was, uh, I don't even remember how did we come up with, I think we just started talking about how to maybe measure the impact of strength training mm-hmm. on uh, on the Run with Power outfit. And then then I just said, said that, hey, that we should do a podcast episode together because I've been getting a lot of questions about that. And uh, can you define for the listeners what Running with Power is just very briefly? So Running with Power, it has, it's, I refrained from saying that it's exactly like biking with power because it's not. But in essence, you know, a watt is a watt and it's essentially evaluating how much work you are doing while you are running. 
and objectively doing so. So instead of just giving a very vague, how much work are you doing? It's, it's saying it's quantifying it by giving it an exact number. So it's kind of like biking in that, for example, if you go uphill, you won't go as fast, but you will still be doing a lot of work and you can measure that with a running power meter like stride, for example. But uh, when you say that it's not exactly like bike power meters, what, what are the differences? So when you're thinking about a bike power meter, um, you have strain gauges in the crank arm, or you have a crank arm that has algorithms that calculates a power number. But because you have less forces acting upon you on a bike, the higher the number, the better. Because if you put out more power, you're going to go faster. Um, that's not always the case with running. So on the bike, if you have a higher FTP, that's fantastic. If your power to weight ratio is, you know, high, that's good. And the higher, and you always are working at trying to improve those numbers on the bike. With running though, you have something you have, if you increase your numbers, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going faster. So you could be doing an all out sprint and really pushing your power numbers up. But if those extra watts that you're pushing aren't going to pushing you forward, but instead, you know, pushing you from side to side or up and down, so laterally and horizontally, then that's wasted watts. So that's the biggest difference is that not all of your power when running is going to pushing you forward. Yeah, I have a perfect example of this. Comparing a triathlon run with uh, an open running race, I've at least seen when I've been doing a triathlon 10Ks and an open 10Ks that I can produce more power in uh, in the triathlon 10K, and even if I go all out for the open 10K, which seems great. But uh, actually, I've had the kind of the same times, which is uh, kind of unusual, though. I was running pretty slow in that open 10K race, but still, I was running just as fast, but with much lower power in that open 10K without a bike and a swim before that. The reason being that uh, more energy was going to waste on uh, that triathlon run. And I think that's a, a major hiccup that people kind of uh, um, hiccup that people get when they start using running with power is that when they do their first run test and then they train, you know, hard for 10 to 12 weeks and then do another power test and they see that their FTP went down, but their critical pace went up, then they're like, they're confused. But what that means is that your more, more of your power is going to pushing you forward rather than wasted energy. Yes, exactly. Let's talk a little bit about stride first, which is the power meter that both of us use. So uh, what what is stride? How how does it work? So stride, they started out with uh, like a heart rate strap type power meter that measured um, your algorithms. And I think it was the, called the Pioneer. But then they recently created a foot pod, I think, um, starting middle of last year. And what it does is it's not a power meter in the sense of strain gauges. They don't have any strain gauges in your, you know, in your shoe. But it, what it does is it, it's a... Um, a very high-tech accelerometer. It takes your accelerometer reading, so how quickly you're turning over, uh, bouncing, um, etc., and then it also coordinates that with a um, a where you are altitude-wise. So it can measure you know hills and everything, and then it computes all of that data into computing your power. And they've done validity studies using force plates on this. Uh, so it's it's a quite accurate measurement. Yeah, 
you need your weight uh, as input as well for it to accurately cal- calculate yeah. your power. But other than that, that's uh, exactly how it does it. And it's important to mention also that it, it it has those accelerometers in three dimensions because some other power meters don't have that 3D power measurement. And both are fine because uh, the lateral power can, in many cases, it's not as big a waste of energy as uh, the vertical power, but you just need to know that you can't compare apples to oranges, which comparing 2D and 3D power meters would be. So going back a bit to uh, to the difference between running uh, to run power meters and bike power meters, one topic that I want to discuss, running zones. And what is the difference between running power zones and bike power zones? So with running power zones, I find that you have to be more, um, they're higher. So when we're talking about um, zone one and zone two, you know, your easy, casual, all day endurance ride on the bike, I find that that's between, you know, 68% to even 75% of your FTP. So if you just go out and you're noodling around with your friends, uh, you know, you're stopping at a coffee ride, that's about 68 to 75% of your FTP. While running, though, it's going to be higher. So I find that the casual, you should be running, if you're running a zone two run, you should be running about 78%, 76 to 78% of your FTP. So it's significantly higher when you're running compared to when you're biking. And I the reason for that is, you know, as we discussed, part of the wattage is going to pushing you um, in different directions besides forwards. So you're, you're wasting watts, so to speak, um, which is adding to the total number. And part of that, uh, another, uh, level of that zone is that you, you know, that gray zone that we talk about, well, in cycling, it's between, you know, 88 to 90%, 88 to 95%, that sweet spot. If you're doing most of your runs in that zone, it's considered the gray zone. In running, it's more around 82 to 88%. So another difference is that I find that you can, it depends on the coach you're working with, but there's a lot of different zones for different specific types of uh, pacing. So with running zones, I like to break it up where you have your zone one, which is, you know, your recovery walking when you're doing hard intervals. Uh, And that I find is between about 74 to 78%. And another big difference is when you're cycling, you can do, you can do 50 to 60% of your FTP as a recovery. If you try to do 50 to 60% of your FTP running, you, you'll, you'll be walking. It's, it's, it's very difficult to hold your form effectively when you dip under that 73, 72% of your FTP. So that, that kind of for, um, most coaches that, se- uh, that 74, excuse me, that 74 to 76, 77%, that's kind of your zone, your recovery zone, your walking zone. And then you have your 78 to 80%. That's going to be your zone two. That's going to be the most of your foundation runs that you're doing, uh, in that low intensity zone. And then 80 to 82, I would say is your long distance zone. And you'd really on those easy, uh, so your long run zones, and you could even argue for some inexperienced runner, that's your going to be your marathon pacing zones. And then after you get over to 82, those are more your specific tempo. Uh, and that's what most would consider your gray zone. 
And then for tempo, it's more like 90 to 95%. And then above that, when you have like 95 to 105% of your critical power in your FT or your FTP while running, that's going to be your 10K, 10K pace. And then above that, you get into, you know, your 5K and your sprints and your repetitions. Yeah, and uh, about the gray zone, just uh, to make it clear for listeners, because we've been talking about training zones in past episodes, uh, there is a time and place to train that as well, even though it is, as Chris said, often referred to as a gray zone. And that is if you're racing a race that uh, where that is your race pace. So training uh, at the specific pace that your race will be done at. Uh, so it doesn't mean that you should never do that kind of training. Uh, definitely not. Uh, one more thing that I was... Uh, thinking about here with these zones is that you mentioned here going up to well you mentioned actually many different uh, percentage steps and that's really good we'll include those on the show notes on that draftlandshow.com but one thing that i've been uh, thinking about and kind of investigating a little bit is the difference between the training peaks power running with power zones that are based on jim vance's work in his book run with power and then uh, the uh, zones in stride's own power center which is a five zone system and jim vance has a seven zone or six or seven zone system so uh, do you have any uh, what's your opinion on those different ways to to divide the uh, into zones your power out i find i find strides power center zones the five based one i find them very general um, and not very specific, which I have a problem with. So when they say zone one, that goes all the way up to 80% of your FTP. So when a lot of people see, oh, zone one, those are your powers for zone one, and these are your powers for zone two. And in the power center, zone two is defined as 80, about 81%, all the way up to 90%. And when people see that they should be, when they um, traditionally have a quote unquote zone two run and they try to run in that zone two, according to power center, it's at a higher intensity than they should be running. So I find that the power zones in uh, the power zones in power center, um, which is strides platform, those too vague uh, and not specific enough for, for the average runner. With the, with, uh, Joe, uh, with Jim Vance's in training peaks, though, it's a lot more specific as recovery slash walking and then your endurance zone and then your tempo zone, your threshold zone. So I, I prefer the ones in training peaks, uh, compared to the ones in power center because of the specificity. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. There is one thing though that I think is, um, that I don't agree with with training peaks that is how they calculate the running stress score and again we'll make a lot of references to previous episodes for this one episode 39 in which I talked about training peaks in detail but uh, now that you have running power meters you can calculate your training stress score for running based on that power obviously and uh, in training peaks uh, you you do that kind of like you do cycling and I think that there's a constant that uh, they maybe should consider reconfiguring because I believe that the, the running stress score that you get from training peaks based on running with power are they're, they're too low for high intensity work and too high for low intensity mm-hmm. work. Whereas in Strides Power Center, the running stress score that they have, they seem to have a more of a polarized running stress score that, that I think more accurately uh, corresponds to what you have, you've actually been doing in your training. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes. If you look at the formulas for um, the TSS, so training stress score and training peaks, and the RSS, 
um, the running stress score in Strides Power Center, they have two different formulas. Similar because they're based off intensity and your normalized power, but the major difference is that the intensity, uh, the RSS, so talking about Strides, Strides metric, is put to a constant, uh, is put to the power of K, which is a constant, which incorporates the load on the body. Uh, that you're, that you're putting yourself under when you are running. So because running is more aggressive than cycling, you have to accommodate for that within your training stress score. And that's what the RSS does. So one, one thing that I found, um, doing is that I, what I do is once, uh, strides, uh, power center gives me an RSS number after my runs and it gets uploaded. I take that RSS number and just copy and paste it into the TSS place in training peaks to get a more uh, accurate measure. And like you said, when you're going at lower intensities, that TSS and RSS, there will be a higher discrepancy between the two numbers. As you get closer to your critical power, they'll start to become more aligned. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's a, that's a great point. And I actually saw your post on in the Facebook group on, on that. And uh, that is part of the reason that I brought that up because I, I think that that's, uh, that's a great way to do it if you use... Uh, tss a lot in training peaks to to actually grab that rss from power center and and manually replace training peaks tss with that uh just a quick uh quick note here for listeners that aren't that interested in training peaks and the technical stuff we will be soon getting into uh, some uh, more applicable things maybe for you like pacing and how to do workouts based on power uh, i just want to talk about one more thing here with uh, training peaks and uh, tss and rss and that is uh, the implications in training plans workouts and pacing of having that rss or rtss now with uh, running with power so because yeah, because you have this new metric and you're able to more accurately measure your stress instead of using I think what Training Peaks did before, which was your use your pace versus your critical pace, yeah. and then calculated your RTSS or your running TSS from that. Now that you have a more accurate measure of intensity uh, with with the RS uh, with your stride, you're able to you can map your ATP your annual training plan will be far more accurate than if you used simply your if you simply used running paces so you're able to map out weeks based off a more accurate tss compared to you trying to use paces on the run um because instead of going for trying to do paces and distances at specific paces to calculate to stimulate a stress you can just switch over and do durations at a specific power and derive a tss score from that which it's 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 a novel idea so it's moving away from the idea of you know doing mile repeats and instead of doing mile repeats you're doing six minute repeats at a specific power uh, which flips traditional running programming on its head uh, and I, I i find that interesting because that's in essence what we've been doing on you know bike trainers and bike turbos um for the past couple of years is instead of measuring it by distance um your distance and wattage now we're measuring it by time and wattage and distance doesn't really matter as long as you're holding that specific wattage meaning we can take um, we can take pacing work and take it off the track because that's a controlled environment and put it onto the roads. So as long as you're holding a specific power for a specific time, you could be doing that on a hill. You could be doing that on the flats. You could be doing that on an undulating course, but it's the same watts, which is, which is, I find exciting. Yeah. And I think 
the more hilly, rousey run in your day-to-day training, the more important this uh, difference will be now that you have uh, running with power and, and getting, because that's where you will really start to see differences. Because even though Training Peaks actually for their RTSS based on pace, they used normalized graded pace. I don't consider that very accurate to be honest and mm-hmm. and either way Damn. it cancels out when you run downhill which and running downhill has causes a tremendous amount of stress on the body so that that's uh, I, I think it's incorrect so so this running with power now is uh, is a much better way to to get a, an accurate handle of what you're actually uh, putting on your body in terms of stress so yeah I, I agree with that do you have anything else to mention on these more technical sides on training peaks and zones and so on or should shall we move on to things like pacing because that's something that uh, i think is probably one of the most important things that we want the listeners to take away from from this episode yeah so i i think i think that's actually a perfect um going off those that flipping it to duration and power i think that leads perfectly into pacing so going into pacing with power because uh, this has been, it's an issue, in, especially in triathlon. How hard should you be running off the bike? And for you know, for a long while, coaches been have been you know, using rate of perceived exertion. Have been using trying to use heart rate and trying to use pace to pace yourself off the bike. And that offers you know a wide variety of problems because. If you hop off the bike and your heart rate's to the roof, well, that could also be because you're dehydrated. That also could be energy. That could be a whole range of how much caffeine you had on the bike. It could be a whole range of things that leads to an inaccurate heart rate number. Or you find that your heart rate, you know, your heart rate monitor is malfunctioning. So it's really hard to pace, especially in Ironman and half Ironman, using heart rate. Same thing with pace. It, depending on how hard you pushed on the bike, how hilly the course is, you can't really get an accurate pace running off the bike. So if you're running a 70.3 like St. George, your first five miles are all uphill. So how are you supposed to get an accurate pace there? This is where power really comes uh, comes into play because instead of trying to go for those subjective fluctuating measures like heart rate and pace, you have a constant number that you can you can hold on to and that's where you can get a more accurate pacing measure definitely i agree and one thing that i'll add to that as well is that i think there will always be a massive place in triathlon bigger than for any gadget out there for being able to pace whether it's a bike swim or run based on rpe rating of perceived exertion and uh, being very in tune with your body but i think power is the best way to learn to get in tune with your body because you Mm -hmm. can actually learn to feel what a certain output feels like even when the terrain changes or you have done a bike before which uh, changes the, the way that you perceive the effort that you're putting out compared to the output and so on so so i think that that's that's actually personally i've been using stride now uh, since the late spring and i've been uh, looking at it in some races and uh, checking my power and so on and learning to use it and also in training obviously but now for the last couple of months or so in my races i have really gotten into the habit and really think i perform best when i don't look at anything on my run i just run as hard as i can but 
within within limits of course and and i found that i've become so even more in tune with my body and, and being able to to pace perfectly and those when I, when i look at my pace curves i have been pacing really perfectly in in those races and and stride has definitely been a big help in that and especially teaching me how to pace in those hillier races which uh, which is where i've had probably my relative to the field my best runs of of all races that i've been doing so that is one one more aspect of stride and how you can use it in your in your runs in the triathlons yeah it, it helps you associate a feeling with a number um and it not and it's pegging that feeling with a number that's consistent so 320 watts will feel is 320 watts whether you're running fresh or running off the bike and being able to peg a feeling with like how hard it is to push it's helpful and then to add on to that, knowing that you can hold a specific wattage is psychologically reinforcing for the whole entire run. So knowing that you can, you've done in practice, you've done in training a specific wattage for a specific time, you can relax and say, you know, I can hold this number for the rest of the race because I've done it in practice. And instead of trying to say, you know, I'm not sure if I can hold this heart rate because my heart rate's always changing, or I'm not sure if I can hold this pace because of all the hills coming up, but I do know that I can hold that power number. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I definitely agree with that. And I've been before my most recent races always looking at what if it, if it's a sprint triathlon that I'm doing, looking at well, what's been my uh, my recent uh, peak. 15 minute or 20 minute power outputs that i've been doing i don't think i get 15 minutes so i've been looking at 20 minutes and know that well okay if you can hold that for for 20 minutes then i sure as hell can hold it for 17 minutes or whatever around the 5k and and same for a 10k i've i've been looking at like where would the sweet spot between a 30 minute peak power and a 60 minute peak power be so i know that i mm-hmm. if i can just pull pull back on my power a little bit from that 30 minute peak power then that's certainly something that i will be able to hold in the 10k for just a few more minutes so and that's uh to quickly go back to training peaks and all the the geeking data um with the power curve that is uh generated by wko and also on strides power center you can figure out your pace your perfect pacing based off that power curve which is a a huge advantage over trying to use their heart rate or their pacing curve so the the power curve that comes along with training peaks and the stride power center it's a very good tool for figuring out what wattage you can hold for specific times yeah totally all right so uh, what about sessions workouts and uh, and how do you use power in your workouts what's your thoughts so I, I guess we could break this into two different two different categories of running fresh and then running off the bike. So when you're running fresh, um, some good workouts using power would be something like hill sprints or uh, hill hill repetitions, where you're running for you know 90 seconds all the way up to you know two minutes and 30 seconds, trying to hold a specific power. And the reason why this is good with power is because you don't have to wait for your heart rate to come up, and you don't have to worry about pacing on a hill because you're going to be using different hills so trying to repeat and hold a constant power going uphill i find really effective so doing between you know six to ten repetitions of one minute all the way up to two minutes 30 um running uphill at a you know at a good grade i think that's a really good workout whether you're just strictly a runner or whether you're a triathlete so that's a good hill workout. Also doing, you know, uh, threshold workouts or uh, tempo workouts. So doing three by tw- 
three by 15 minutes at a specific power. So anywhere in between 90 to 95% of your FTP, that's an, another good uh, workout or also um, fast finishes for long runs where you, uh, you build every 20 minutes starting at 82% of your FTP, building all the way up to 95 or 98% of your FTP. And then you know, for the last five minutes going all out to see what power you can hold for that last five minutes. And then uh, another good one in kind of your your, uh, build phase of training is over under runs. So applying that the bike workouts where you go over your threshold and under your threshold uh, for sets amounts of time, you can actually do that while running with a power meter now. So you can do, you can bounce between one minute and 105% of FTP back down to kind of a cruise pace of 95% FTP and bounce between the two of those. Uh, that's a really good workout. That's one of my favorites. Uh, so th- there's definitely, uh, those are kind of the, the workouts that I like when you're just running rather than running off the bike. Um, and then when you're getting into your brick workouts, uh, it helps with doing race simulations. So if you're focusing on a half Ironman, for example, maybe doing a, a three hour and 30 minute ride where you do a you know 20 minute build warm up and then go straight into four by 30 minutes at 85%, which could be, you know, for a trained cyclist, your half Ironman pace. And then after you do that four, uh, in that four by 30 minutes on the bike, the first and third one is at a lower cadence. So targeting that 60 to 70% to, uh, fatigue the legs. And then your two and four would be good for, uh, that two and four rep would be your normal gearing. And that, that lower cadence work really helps with hilly courses and preparing you for hilly courses, but it's also a good way of fatiguing the legs before the run. And then hopping off the bike and doing something like three by 10 to 20 minutes at 85 to 95% of your FTP, where the first one you do at 85%, the second one you do at 90%, and then your third one at 95%. And then when you get back, looking at the data to see, all right, was I able to hold that 95%? And if you were able to hold that 95%, then you could most likely gauge from that that you could most likely hold 90% of your FTP for that 13.1 miles. So it's a, it's a good assessment of fitness. Another extra dimension that you can add on to this when analyzing your workouts is how effective that 95% was. Because you can hold 95% of your wattage, but does is your pace faster and is your running form lower? Uh, so that's another good thing to analyze when you're looking at your run data. And I guess we should quickly, by the way, point out how you know your FTP on the run. And that there are a few different tests that, that can be used. And personally, I've never done any any of them. I just estimated based on my estimated 10K time. So that's mm-hmm. pretty meta. But but I, for the first triathlon, Olympic distance triathlon that I did this season, I had a certain power and the race went really well. So I just estimated that I could have held maybe even slightly higher in an open 10k and then I used that to uh, to kind of get my my estimated FTP from that but there are uh, specific protocols as well so can you just quickly talk about those and because we have a deadline of 15 minutes before I need to go to the next interview so and we still need to talk about those important f- efficiency and uh, economy metrics that we get with uh, power 
Right. So how you can calculate your FTP, as you said, there's a bunch of different ways. Um, there's a three, six test where you do three laps all out on a track, take like a 20 minute break and then do six laps all out on the tra uh, track. You plug that into your, into power center and it generates a critical power pace and an FTP number. And your FTP or critical power is approximately where you, what you can hold for uh, the power that you can hold for 50 to 60 minutes approximately. Um, another way is, as you said, using a, you know, a 10K, 10K result or a 5K result. And I actually find those really accurate um, uh, as far as aligning with the 3-6 test. So using previous results and then also using um, or using the 3-6 test. Many people like the 3-6 test because you don't have to completely, uh, you don't have to pause your training to do them. You recover quickly from them. And so you can get back to your normal training instead of having to take a couple days off to recover. Another way to do it, which is more high tech, is to use the, the power curve that I was talking about in WKO to get an approximation. Uh, so that's another way of doing. But that's how those are, I guess, the three major ways of getting your FTP is the three six test, five um, K or ten K result, and then also um, using the the WKO power curve. Yeah, and uh, this brings us nicely into the important metrics that. Uh, we need to discuss. You have your critical power or your FTP, and mm -hmm. uh, then you also have your uh, critical power per your weight. So divided by your weight in kilograms, and those are and mm -hmm. that is obviously essential because in running, if you if you are carrying excess weight, then you are going to go slower because you need to generate more power to go at the same pace as somebody who is carrying less weight. But right. uh, just to to give listeners an idea, then uh, the critical power, at least for me, it's uh, it's a bit higher than my my bike FTP. It's uh, at three hundred fifteen, I believe, at the moment on the run, and uh, just below three hundred on on the bike. Is that something that you see as well? Yeah, uh, I think I think that's about average. Uh, it's it's mostly high, in well trained triathletes. It's mostly higher than what they do on on the bike. Um, as far as power to weight goes, I think power to weight's a more accurate representation rather than focusing on a number because if you're 200 pounds, you're obviously going to be able to generate a lot more. Or it takes a lot more watts to push you forward. Yeah. So I think for the average, uh, for kind of the the elite, um, the elite group it's more it's the higher fours low fives as far as power to weight ratio for ftp um and then I, it goes down from there so mid threes i think it would be your your typical competitive recreational runner low threes would be your uh, more recreational runner yeah that that seems accurate enough then we have running economy and that is uh, your speed per watt per kg it's actually uh, running effectiveness yeah, sorry, my mistake. So, so what do do we use that for? So, running effectiveness—it's how much. It's so as you said, the, the formula for that is your speed in meters per second over watts per kilogram, which simplifies down to kilograms over newtons. Um, but to kind of think of it, um, and this was developed by Andrew Coggin. So to think about this, it's how much speed you're producing as um, for your watts per uh, kilogram, and what's good about the running effectiveness and to give people perspective when you calculate this elite runners are usually when they're running at ftp or critical power they're usually around one and then it goes down to maybe low low mid nines on easy runs so what running effectiveness does is you know how much how much speed are you producing for 
um, for how much watts per mass you're producing. If that, if does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I actually, I, I was reading some articles, and and one good explanation that I found was that uh, it running effectiveness is essentially it's how well you can overcome the horizontal retarding force that uh, mm-hmm. you encounter as a runner. So if you have a higher running effectiveness, then you are better at uh, not having those. Uh, you have less retarding forces or you need to, sorry, you need to apply less power to overcome those retarding forces because you are running more more effectively. And yeah, those, mm-hmm. those numbers are great as well. And, and here again, I did some calculations late last night to prepare for this episode. And again, to show the difference between running off the bike and running in an open 10K, I in my last open 10k I had exactly one as my running effectiveness but in my last triathlon I had those mid 90s so at, and even though I had sort of the exact same pace I believe in both races so so that again goes to show that in that that after you're doing a hard bike ride then your effectiveness is slightly reduced anything else that we should we should add about running effectiveness or should we go on to the uh efficiency index well uh, uh, one last point is uh, i think running effectiveness is also good to compare to your rpe so if you can uh, when you go out for a run and you do some intervals and you go back and you're analyzing your data and you feel like you really struggled on that last interval um, if you look at the re you can actually figure out whether you really did struggle or whether that was mental fatigue um, and Steve in the, the, in the stride Facebook group actually just posted a great, um, article on this, um, looking, looking at this specifically where he had a runner who struggled, uh, on his last 20 minute interval in a, in a marathon training run. Um, and he said, you know, I, I thought it was just breaking down, but when Steve looked at the data, he found that his running effectiveness had actually improved. Um, so his form wasn't breaking down at all. It was just his mind that was fatiguing and he was struggling to hit that running effectiveness. So it's an interesting, uh, correlation between that. And it's interesting to see how much you mentally fatigue, uh, sooner than you do physically. Yeah. Interesting. That, that's interesting. I need to go and read that. Steve put some great stuff on, on there all time. So, so that's definitely now on my to read list. Okay. So moving on to efficiency index. And I'll let you you talk about the formula for this one because I made a mess of the last one. So efficiency index, um, this was developed by Jim Vance. It's not as good, in my opinion, as the running efficiency because it doesn't normalize your weight. It just, it's just looking how much, uh, how fast you're going for how much watts. So it's, um, it's your speed in meters per second over power. Um, so it's your EI. It's not as good as using RE, so I don't really dapple in it too much. Um, but it is one more metric for how much speed you're getting for how much watts you're putting out. Yeah, and I would uh, so I, I would say that if you if you stay at a constant weight and you always compare yourself mm-hmm. to yourself, then it doesn't really matter that you don't have and and you can essentially use either one of those because then in that case, if weight is constant, then you uh, either, either one of them is fine. You can just choose one and go with it, but. Of course, since running effectiveness has weight included in it, then uh, that is, in my opinion as well, the slightly more useful metric. But it is another good number to look at, especially when you're, you know, comparing FTP tests, if you're at the same weight, assuming, um, between a, uh, two FTP tests, you can see, all right, am I, pu- am I getting more speed for the watts that I'm pushing out instead of just looking at your overall power output? Yeah. And, and one more thing to mention, if you have high, you can have high, um, 
a high efficiency index but but a low running effectiveness and that can be like relatively speaking even comparing to other runners and and, mm-hmm. and that might mean that your limitation is that you actually need to to lose some weight and you can gain some insights from comparing those those two metrics that way let's finally talk uh, briefly about form power ratio okay so form power ratio is the percentage of the power that you um the percentage of your overall power that's going to or is going to not pushing you forward so it's uh the the founder of stride uh, said it's your running in pace power so if you were just running in pace that would be in place that would be your for, uh, that would be your power so it's the percentage of your power that's not going to pushing you forward and the it's a um what you want is you want a very low form power, uh, low form power percentage, because that means more of your watts are pushing you forward compared to in other directions. So this also allows you to see, you know, when you're doing, as you were saying at the beginning of the show, when you're comparing like an open 10K to a triathlon 10K, you're pushing the same wattage but you're going slower in the triathlon K that's because you're more of your Watts are going to are in other directions compared to pushing you forward. So the form power allows you to see what happens to your form over time. Is it getting worse? Meaning that more of your Watts are going to pushing you in other directions besides pushing you forward, or is it remaining the same or even going down? Meaning you're becoming more of your Watts are going to pushing you forward and going towards speed rather than um, lateral or horizontal movements. Yeah, and and uh, this is great. I think form power is a great metric, but uh, again, there has been some confusion in the Facebook group about how to use it because obviously the the higher your weight, the, the higher your form power is going to be, but that's not the mm-hmm. important thing. But when you take the ratio and divide by total power, then you then, then you can remove that weight component. So, so what kind of form power ratios are we usually seeing or if you can talk about those benchmarks for different kinds of runners so it it not only varies from different types of runners but also what pace you're doing because at at slower paces your efficiency is going to be lower so your um your percentage is going to be higher so for your average so for an average easy run what i've seen is it's going to be between 29 and 31 percent so take the average 30 percent of your um of your power is going to be going uh, is form power so 30% for an easy run. When you get into marathon pace, that drops down to, it should drop down to about 27, 28%. And then for uh, FTP, you're, you really want it to be between 24 and 26% or lower. Got it. Okay. So I think that we've covered a lot today and we'll have everything on the show notes page on thattriathlonshow.com, of course, including a lot of links, resources, and a link to a great uh, Google sheet, a spreadsheet that you can download. So you can just, if you're using Stride, you can plug in your basic numbers and it will calculate all all these things for you, the running effectiveness and uh, efficiency index, form power ratio, etc., uh, I have time for just one rapid-fire question for you, Chris, because I have the next interview in two minutes. And you know the question, so you can decide which question do you want to answer. Uh, I think, uh, what, uh, re- uh, what, uh, what's your favorite training tool? I think I'll go with that one. Okay. And that's going to be my, I'm not going to say stride because that, you know, that goes without saying, I'm going to say my AeroPress coffee maker, um, which is, uh, I'm a huge coffee snob and I don't think I could get through a workout without having a coffee beforehand. So I'm going to go with my, the AeroPress coffee maker. Um, they're not a sponsor of mine as much as I wish they were, but that's my, my go-to training, 
training partner. Excellent. And uh, if listeners want to find out more about you, you can be found on braveheartcanada.com and on social media, your handle is trybuddha and we'll have those links in the show notes as well. And uh, so thank you, Chris. Uh, to all the listeners, this has been Chris Haig again from Braveheart Canada and uh, myself, Michael Erickson from Scientific Triathlon, riffing about stride and running with power. And uh, yeah, it was a great pleasure having you on the show, Chris. Thanks for having me on, Michael. I hope that you found that episode on stride and running with power valuable. This has been a very requested topic, so I hope that uh, the ones that have been requested it are now happy. And I know that uh, it might seem a bit overwhelming if you are just getting started with running with power or you haven't even tried it, but... uh, I think that I'll do my best definitely to, on the show notes page, make this episode maybe slightly clearer than it has been in just from listening to it. Because when you see screenshots and, and pictures and see these spreadsheets in action that you can then go and access and plug in your own numbers, then it will be so much easier for you, I believe. So go to thattriathlonshow.com and check out the show notes for today's episode to learn more. If you are a member of a triathlon club or you have friends that you train with or even endurance athletes that you know, uh, please help me spread the word of the show by telling them and uh, saying that they should have a listen because there's good content for any endurance athlete. I just recently read a review from a guy that is a time trialist and not a triathlete at all but he found uh, still found this uh, podcast valuable so so do spread the word about this show to any endurance sports friends that you have that's about it for this episode on next episode we will have matt dixon and he is the secret first repeat guest on that triathlon show that i mentioned an episode or two ago and we will talk about how to train for long course triathlons on a very limited time budget and when life gets in the way so that is probably something that 70 percent of the listeners to this show struggle with and have how to deal with training when life happens which it does so make sure that you tune in to that episode until then keep sending me emails with feedback and questions to michael at scientific triathlon.com and that's michael with a k and of course as always keep training smart and keep loving triathlon